This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to this edition of The Mighty. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by my brothers, Brett and Jordy Micellis. Our guest for today is Scott Dworkin, friend of The Mighty. He's the co-founder of the Dem Coalition. He's host of the Dworkin Report podcast, a veteran of the 2008 and 2012 Obama campaigns. And Scott, I say this endearingly, but an OG of the digital space before Midas existed before the digital pioneers of today. There was Scott Dworkin out there who really spearheaded digital activism. Scott, it was uh, so great to connect with you when we started Midas Touch. And uh, you were always there for us when we had very few followers. And it's one of the things I so appreciate that you did for us and for all the other content creators out there. Just helping other platforms launch. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thanks for having me on again. It's a pleasure and uh, great content. It's always nice to lift it up. And I think people who are workers, I'm always drawn to them, you know, people who are hard workers and uh, really want to grind, especially in, we needed it in 2020 desperately. And y'all stepped up in a space where, yeah, I mean, like we made like 70 ads, but you made like ads that no one could make. And it just, it was phenomenal. And there were a lot of different friends that we had in common. Um, but I could just tell that we, we did our, you know, background and whatnot. We're like, where'd they come from? And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> well, you know, we, we know one of them. And then the other guys are pretty legit. So let's see where it goes. And I'm just glad that uh, y'all took off. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, it's an honor to be able to lift up your content. Uh, Cause it, it was something that we desperately needed as a, as a unit. No, it's so interesting. One of your colleagues, Grant Stern, before I got involved politically and my work primarily focused on civil rights cases, Grant was running a website called uh, Photography is Not a Crime. And he would cover before really the mainstream media was covering the police shooting epidemic that existed in the country and was caught on camera. Grant was on the front lines doing that work. And I had worked with Grant because he was covering cases that I had worked in. And that's how I was ultimately introduced to you on the political side. And so for our listeners, though, who may not know your background, because our listeners also come from um, international and some of our listeners are purely YouTube or purely Patreon. Uh, maybe Scott, if, if you could just let them know, like when you got started really becoming active in on Twitter, on digital spaces and how you grew that platform to over a million followers on Twitter and, and really kind of pioneered one of the first digital movements on Twitter. Yeah, I, I started in politics around 20 years ago as an intern. I would uh, bring food and coffee and do whatever I could. 
then they would give me uh, sheets of paper to make phone calls. And then we would by hand write it down. And then eventually we got laser scanners like a year later. And that was revolutionary. Yeah, it was. We had barcodes (laughs) and everything. And none of it really worked. It really didn't didn't uh, work. It was just paper everywhere. Like, and uh, one of the guys was like, did you just make these phone calls? I'm going to call these people and make sure you made these phone calls. And I was plowing through them because I was like, well, that's what we're supposed to do. Hang up, go, hang up, go. And so um, I stayed in that. I was able to intern for the Carrie Edwards campaign when I was in college. And uh, after that, I went on the campaign trail and I've worked on hundreds of campaigns since I eventually moved to D.C., um, you know, I got to uh, be on, on Barack's staff for the inaugural committee in 2009 and got to stand next to him and Michelle and dance with him after his first dance on stage in front of a bunch of people. And there's this famous picture in between uh, him and Denzel having a moment. And I'm on prednisone because I just got in the hospital a month and a half before that because I got sick from a marathon. <laughs> long story short. And, uh, you know, it, it, I had moon face on the side profile. So it's like the worst picture of me and one of the most famous <laughs> pictures of Barack Obama ever. And I, you know, I hope they crop me out. So it, I, I did that 2012. I worked on convention on the uh, stadium speech. Do you remember the stadium speech in 2012? No, because it didn't happen, but I was helping uh, to run that, that eventually because of weather and other reasons they did not uh, do, but you know, it was fun to be involved with that and, um, just a bunch of different campaigns. Got to represent for a few years the uh, Congressional Progress Congressional Progressive Caucus's nonprofit foundation. Um, you know, had the pleasure of working with the speaker and other members of Congress, dozens of different members of Congress over the years. And uh, yeah, it's just been an honor. 2016, I got some friends together um, that were in the space. I had never really tweeted, never really been online, always been behind the scenes. Um, in 2005. There was a campaign a professor was running for Senate in Maryland, and uh, I decided, hey, you know what we should do is we should use MySpace and try and gain some friends for the campaign. And everybody thought it was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> and so I, I went in there and we were, I was like, we started getting some people together. And I'm like, start adding people in Maryland, search in Maryland, see what their political beliefs are, if you can find them and just start adding them, see if they'll accept your friend request. And then we had thousands of friend requests like uh, that that accepted it. And then we started moving that. And those people we invited to an office opening and they showed up. And that I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And so in uh, Campaigns and Elections magazine cited as one of the first uses of social media for political campaigns, people still thought it was stupid. Like they thought it was a dumb idea. And now looking back, I may regret that because of everything that's happened. But, um, you know, there were a a couple other friends who were in on it as well. Uh, But, you know, when we got to 2016, it was about I I went to a a football game in North Carolina and I saw people waving Trump flags and Mm -hmm. wearing the red hat. But they were serious. And it was an energy on the negative side, but an energy of 2008 Obama. And I was like, this is real. We need to take this seriously. And so uh, early in 2016, 16, we got together and we formed the Democratic Coalition to just start and push back against the rhetoric and the cesspool that became Twitter at that time, um, because it was just <laughs> death threats and, you know, just disgusting things. And, and one of the first things that happened is a delegate in West Virginia 
said that Hillary should be hung on the National Mall, tweeted that out. And that's a state rep level elected official in West Virginia and a pilot, I believe for US Airways, don't hold me to that. Don't send me an email, US Airways. I'm not sure if it was you. I can't remember. A major <laughs> airline. And, uh, you know, we, we were like, well, what are we going to do about this? Like, we can't have people running around doing this. Like, how can we push back against this nonsense? How can we actually make a difference and try and stop this from, from happening? Because if we can deter other people from doing it, you know, that'd be great. So we, we were like, well, you know what? Let's publicly contact the airline. And so we did that. He got suspended from his job. Then we publicly requested, we started ha having people contact different members, the, the state legislature in West Virginia. And then eventually, I believe he was censured publicly uh, in West Virginia for attacking Hillary, eventually shut down his Twitter account. And we were like, we've got something here. And so we started pushing back on people that way using the digital space. We would then get people to be active in person, on the phones, in letters, um, and since then, you know, we've got over a million letters sent, uh, hundreds of thousands of phone calls, um, tons of doors knocked on, uh, you know, activism from hundreds of different ads and videos, some that used to be Midas level, hit level. Now, you know, we're more positive, I guess. But uh, <laughs> we, we we were good with, with that stuff at, at first. It was very provocative. Now it'd be tame if you look back at it. Um, but yeah, it, it just was, what can we do in any way? Like, oh, Flynn is uh, involved with this sort of uh, dealing in Turkey and this is related to Russia somehow. Let's file a, a FARA, like a foreign agent's complaint against. And I was like, I have no idea what that is, but that sounds good. And so we had lawyers who came together. We filed that complaint and it spun out of control from there. Um, and the, I guess what really broke it open is after the, the week of the election, I started digging into his business ties even more. And uh, one of the things that I found is like, there's all these Russian business ties. Why is he denying it? And so I put together a little report. It's just, it's like a high school level re report because it was meant for Congress. So I presented that to members of Congress on the Hill and they started paying attention. They're like, oh, this, this is so basic. Like it's right in front of our faces. There's money that he's accepted. He's done business in Russia, millions and millions of dollars, just straight up in front of our face. And we're just not noticing it. And Grant Stern decided when he was at Huffington Post, he, he decided to write about it. And he took the chance there. Joy Reid took a chance, put me on air, and it started taking off like a rocket. And then Trump started talking about Collusion. We didn't talk about collusion. He talked about collusion. And that's where that shifted. Anyways, so I, I went down the investigative track, stuck on that for a few years. And then we went into more mainstream organizing and online organizing where I've worked full time at the coalition for the last six, seven years now. And so that's been my main, main job uh, since then. And, and so we are going to shift out of the super PAC. Um, just as an FYI, for anybody who knows, people like to say, you know, oh, he gets paid for his job. And I'm like, oh, no. Yes, I do. I get paid for my job. You and, get paid uh, to work? I get paid to work. And so now I'm lucky enough to have to be able to work on other projects. And with that, I think it's time for us to be able to give back. And so we're going to form a political action committee 
where we're actually giving directly to candidates and over 80% of our funds will go directly to candidates. And so that's what I always wanted to do. We just never had the infrastructure to do it. Now we do. Now we have the membership to do it. Um, so that's going to be a great transition, I think, for us. Um, but yeah, it's it's really been an honor to work with so many people and um, do all these great things. And, and so that's the, I guess, long, short spiel of how it kind of started and where we've gotten to now. Let's talk about how digital engagement has evolved since 2016, then the 2020 elections, and then now. Have you noticed changes? I mean, obviously, Midas Touch came into the picture in uh, in, in 2020, but um, what what big trends have you seen that are that are different and, and that have evolved over time? We were able to hashtags were just a. I would wake up, and I'd stub my toe or something, and I think of something. And then I get some people together and we'd be like, you know, we should try and trend this sort of thing, Trump Russia or some sort of hashtag. And so that was one organizing element. And then we started doing that for vote for so-and-so, you know, vote for Connor Lamb, vote for uh, whoever it would be. Uh, Doug Jones uh, was another big one we were involved with. But using hashtags to get to, together on the same page, get people to recognize fundraising pages, uh, sign up pages for volunteerism, things like that. One of the things that we've seen is hashtags have been more organized. So there's been community organizers online that have uh, come together to ha have the a more succinct messaging, something that I always hoped for. Um, and we really saw that in the election. I mean, there were over four billion um in, in reach for two different hashtags, uh, the Monday and Tuesday of this election in 2022. We could never dream of that uh, way back when. And those hashtags were vote uh, blue tomorrow and vote blue today. And uh, it, it's, it's that sort of organizing where you can get everybody on the same page and recognizing nobody owns this hashtag. The point of this is for you to be able to promote your group on a community basis and, uh, and promote your assets so that people can see them. Uh, and I, I think that community is, is really helping the progressive environment um, as endorsed by the White House, who, you know, Jordy and I had the pleasure of, of visiting uh, there to, And that was really helpful in regards to just everything because you, you can see people really taking it seriously. I, I compare it to the beginning of the evolution here is like the beginning when people were YouTubers, like, I don't know, eight years ago or so. And people be like, this guy's just sitting there making videos. And now, you know, <laughs> there's guys that are millionaires that, and they're like, wow, like, it's amazing. How did you do that? And I've talked to some of these folks and they're like, because I worked my butt off and you just didn't understand what we were doing at the time. Um, so there'll be, I, I have seen a lot of people try and, uh, denigrate the work, but it's just as valuable. And with COVID, it was even more valuable than anything else. It was everything. So 2020, everything kind of shifted into that online environment and we needed to have everything that, that, that was set up. And luckily we had Midas Touch, Dem Coalition and everybody else together so, so that we could engage with people online because that's all we had. We didn't have people really knocking on doors, doing anything in person. And so all we had was that online element. And, and I think COVID then shifted conversations back online to more civil engagements and, and some sort, because I was too busy 
2021, pushing vaccines and masks more than anything else. Um, but it was based off of asking people simple, silly questions like, you know, what's your favorite kind of breakfast food? And then I would push vaccination links and how to get vaccinated, where to get masks. Um, you know, we started Masks Now Coalition, which we we had p- people make uh, hand make these hand sewn masks, hundreds of thousands of them across the country in all fifty states, because the CDC wasn't doing the distribution like they should have. Uh, the post office was stopped from doing that. Um, so it's always been about just doing whatever we can do in regards to the engagement now. It's it's everything that we could have hoped for. And what the problem, though, with this trend is it's been stomped on um, by the new leadership at, at Twitter. And so we've got to diversify our social media platforms. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that anybody should put all their eggs in one basket. Um, so if you're just on Twitter all the time, you probably shouldn't be. You should diversify that um, throughout the day. But the, So that's one trend that we're starting to see is people are starting to look at different avenues and not just spending all their time on one social media platform. Um, And so I think the trend eventually will be that not one social media platform will control the narrative or conversation, and it will be more organic uh, and not as corralled as it is today. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. So, Scott, I mean, you've been here uh, for a bit. As you mentioned earlier, you got your start on MySpace, which I think, you know, I, th- I think it ages you just a little bit there, Scott. I'm not going to lie. I was on MySpace, <laughs> too, not for political organizing. But, you know, at the time that, you know, the idea of using MySpace as a term, a- a- as a tool of political activism was a novel idea. Nobody was using the Internet in that way. Um, and you have gotten to see now the birth and the death of a lot of these social media networks. I'm sure. So now that you're seeing this sort of in real time collapse of Twitter, nobody quite knows what is really going to happen now in the future. I, I think Twitter will always exist probably in, in, in some form, but it clearly is heading down a, a pretty dark path at the moment. What do you make of the new dynamic where you have people kind of fleeing now and you got people using Mastodon and counter social and tribal and follow me here, follow me there. What, what do you make of this new social media dynamic? Where do you think all this is going to land once the dust actually settles? I think Twitter will probably end up on top. Uh, you know, no matter if I'd like to deny it or not, um, there's some things that I have been begging Twitter to do for years that they are doing now. Uh, and there are some things that are being implemented that they pledge that they're doing now. But such it, as this is this is not how they're supposed to be doing it. Uh, taking down bot accounts, which has been happening, but you know we've seen accounts delinked where they, uh, especially progressive accounts, and this sounds conspiratorial, but um, there's just too many big accounts that it's happened to where an account will unfollow a friend and they'll unfollow you or whatever. Um, so there's different issues like that, but the creator platform and monetization and things like that, it seems like they're making moves in the right direction to support the creator. 
problem is nobody wants it to go into Elon Musk's pocket, you know? So like mm -hmm. it, it's, we have that decision to make. Is it like, okay, can we, do we actually want to use this platform? And so that that's, he's going to have to not send out memes that, you know, are, are meant for 4chan. Like he's gonna good, have to good luck send, with that, Scott. Like that's <laughs> and, and I just don't understand how anybody can talk. He's so rich that nobody can really go after him at a level that it actually affects him. And I think that, you know, hopefully this this old humanitarian who used to be the guy who, who could swoop in and save some people, uh, comes back and shows his face. Right now, if it goes down this path. You know, Twitter would survive, I'm sure, but a lot of us probably won't be using it as our main platform, and there will be a mass exodus further than just now of people jumping off, jumping back on, and then checking it. And like, did did Trump tweet yet? Because if he did, I'm I'm out for good. Um, you know, this this happens a lot, but I just don't I don't see exactly what Musk's plan is, and that's the biggest problem here. Yeah, they're making some changes that are for good, but it's not enough. And it's not quick enough. And also there's no stability. There's no trust there. The user has to trust what they're doing. I can't wonder. I wonder if, you know, Elon went ahead and took an Excel spreadsheet and exported all my DMs that I've ever had. Right? Because he could do that. And we don't think about these things of the privacy of it and access to information. And what is he doing with that? You know, so there's there's too many things there. Too many question marks, and I think he's got to be more transparent with everything. Um, and he's got to stop playing games because he's playing with fire. I know he's trying to be the Trump of Twitter and maybe get Trump back on, so he's not the Trump of Twitter. But he, he's got to stop playing these games. This is these are people's people trust this for news. People trust this for for journalism, and it's destroying some people's lives and their livelihood. And he needs to stop playing games with it because it's not as simple as that. There are people who are trying to send out tweets from Ukraine so that people stay away from terrorist attacks. Like the, 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 this is important stuff. It's not um, as simple as just a tweet or just a social media network. And I think he has to respect that and the power that he has behind him now. It's not something that should be abused in this way. Yeah. And while there may be some, you know, good things and positive steps towards creators that you see out there. And you mentioned a few of them, you know, at this point, the, in my opinion, the bad is far outweighing the good. I mean, the, the platforming of horrific people, it seems he drew the line at Alex Jones, but I guess torturing the parents of uh, who, whose kids were lost in school shootings is where he draws the line. But anything up to that point, he seems to be okay with um, the levels of hate speech that we've been seeing on the website, the weird memes he's been posting, the way he's been treating his employees and driving them out of the company and mocking journalists and mocking his employees. I, I mean, all that stuff is is really bad. And the only thing that I could even fathom is going on is that he is trying to destroy Twitter or at least destroy what Twitter was. And I think he's also trying to delegitimize media, at least truthful, honest reporting. And the same way Trump tried to call everything fake news, all the articles that he didn't like, Musk is kind of doing the same thing. And while he's delegitimizing, say, CBS News or The New York Times or The Washington Post, he is elevating folks like Cat Turd and like uh, <laughs> Tim Young and like the Babylon Bee. And it's like it's very transparent to me, the balance, act, the balancing act that he is doing. And by balancing act, I mean 
pulling the actual sources of info and news way down and push pushing up the conspiratorial uh, people, the far right people in in many uh, aspects, actually engaging with the people responsible for the January 6th insurrection, responsible for all this horrific stuff. I mean, is that what you're seeing, too? Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear, I'm not defending Elon Musk. I did <laughs> want to give people some positive notes because I like to do that. Um, but we're talking about 0.01% positive. You know what I mean? Like there is some positive stuff, but most of it's horrible. Like letting Trump back on is is disgusting and disgraceful and it, a promise that's been broken because it was a permanent ban. That's why, why some people have invested so much time and energy back into Twitter because he was promised to be gone forever. And he said there would be a moderation council, which ended up being a Twitter poll from his account. So uh, <laughs> not, not, not exactly signed. We weren't even told it was official because if we were told it was official, I think the outcome may have been different. And at the same time, like how many... Uh, governments internationally helped Trump out with that. You know, I I mean, I don't know exactly <laughs> how it was actually pulled, but no one took it seriously. No one. It's thought Twitter this poll. Is... No one. No one thinks a Twitter poll is a scientific no. poll. How do you think that shifts the dynamic of of what's going on online and like the work you do and stuff? Now that you're going to have Donald Trump, I mean, he hasn't tweeted yet as of this recording. He might in the next few hours. Who knows? Will he tank his own social media platform because he can't resist this one? I say probably yes. Um, but uh, <laughs> how do you think that's going to affect you know your work having somebody like Trump on the platform, having having these alt right figures back? Um, I mean, you got to stand up to them, huh? Well, we've knocked them off before. We'll knock them off again. And it's it's just the circle of life here. And so we, we're just going to have to deal with it as it comes. Uh, you know, this is what it is. We fought everything to the nail to make sure that this didn't happen. It's now happened. Uh, and we just have to deal with it. We have to face it and, and not be afraid of confronting that. Um, I just, you know, it, it, it the thing that is that sucks about it is it may get boring to some people old repetitive it's the same thing over and over again like oh this is like hysteria and constant pressing out down on the accelerator um but it's that's that's what fighting fascism is like you you can't let them gain any steam anywhere you can't let them take over one of the biggest social media platforms in the world you can't let them do that um you have to make sure that you know there there will be ways that we can resist everything that they're doing um we just have to figure out the holes in what their plans are and first we got to figure out what their plans actually are um everything will leak out eventually we'll be able to figure out a way um and if it's not on twitter it will be somewhere else um right now we're we're still splitting the difference between social media platforms it's like you what do you have the choice between you know Everything is owned by major corporations or billionaires, and you don't really have a, a choice of. Like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of like the. Okay, I'm done with Twitter. I'm going to Instagram. It's yeah, like exactly. to, Zucker, to Zuckerberg. Like, like, what are your options here? Like, like, there, there are bad people running all of these. It's the unfortunate reality of it. It's like, what do you do? Yeah, and that's I. I don't. You know, I know that there are some other social media networks that are giving a shot and, you know, everything's got question marks with it. Like, what are you going to do with this or that? And that trust is what people need to use these sort of platforms to put themselves out there. And uh, I, I just I think that, you know, there's a lot of nonsense going on from Elon. I'm not 
entirely sure why. I think you made a gr- lot of great points there as to probably why. Um, it's got to level off. It's got to stabilize because uh, people are going to abandon him at a level you would assume uh, that he can't recover from. But, you know, what level would that have to be? Like you, you already about- see that. You're right, Scott. I mean, he's already working with a fraction of, of the employees when he first started the company, even after the initial layoffs. It, it, it It's problematic for all the reasons that, that you outlined so perfectly. I always like to try and find a silver lining in these situations because, you know, I refuse to let them take away my hope. It's the one thing they yeah. can't take. Uh, see, and when see, I look at this. One, one on my side here, one positive note. Anyways, sorry, go ahead. No, no. And but 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 what I like to say is when we just looked at this last midterm cycle, you know, it was an outright rejection of of pro-democracy Americans uh, against this weird MAGAism, this Trumpism, the, this culture that Musk seems to be promoting, the cat turd twos and the Marjorie Taylor Greens. And so, you know, if they're gonna have a platform, say give them the microphone, let them speak, because ultimately it is dangerous for all the reasons that we've outlined, but they're their own worst enemies. And it's a rejection. I think we just saw that with the midterms. So uh, what's your what's your take to sort of that that counter view that I have from the brothers? There's nothing uh, wrong with that. I think that <laughs> it's a good, no, it's, I think it's a good take on uh, a good perspective as the reality is no matter how much propaganda, how much heat wave of nonsense they, they send out there, it can be overridden by the voters. And even in what they said would, would be a red wave, um, you know, and we saw all the different kinds of elements of cheating that they had going on with gerrymandering and voter suppression, and we still overcame a lot of that. So it's, it, you know, we wanted to win the House. Um, it didn't go exactly as planned, but now they're going to have to face the consequences of trying to govern with a bunch of crazy people in their caucus. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening successfully. So I think they're going to be right back in the minority. It will rubber band back and people will be like, what the hell were we thinking? Why do we vote for these people in the first place? I don't know. And I, I can't understand why so many people did and they accepted it. Um, but they did. And that's that's where we're at. So I, I think you're right when they talk. I mean, we're talking about a person who's going to be on a committee again, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and she is going to be talking in a very serious way. And she's going to talk in this crazy these crazy terms and put a congressional stamp of approval behind her propaganda that helps Trump out. Um, and it'll be based on lies and she'll sully herself and uh, Congress. And I think it will be something that helps bring them down back to the minority because it, people aren't going to, aren't going to stand for it. They're not going to believe um, uh, uh, her lies. And I think that it's going to be a responsibility of everybody, especially y'all um, to, to call out those lies as they come. Um, and to make sure that they're held accountable for him, because if they are in charge, then they have to not only govern, but they have to be telling the truth and they have to be held accountable for that. People could roll their eyes when they weren't uh, in charge of the House, right? People would be like, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't matter. She's not on committee. She's not doing anything. Now she's going to have a role, a very, mm-hmm. very senior role. And she's got a lot of money and she's got a lot of friends in regards to in Congress. Um, that she's helped get elected. A lot of her friends lost as well. So I I just, I think that you'll see a lot of these people try and be more mainstream. We can't let them get away with that either. We have to remind them where they came from. They're not changing anytime soon. They may try and take a more moderate old school Republican way where they're screwing you 
while a smile on their face being like, everything's mm-hmm. fine. Um, yeah. I think that, that it's, you're right that people will end up bearing themselves. Like it, it will be one of those things where people can see through who they really are. Um, but it's on us to make sure that that happens. Right. Yeah. Like, so we've got to amplify everything that is wrong about it and point it out and make sure that again, that there's some sort of accountability that they can't just be like fake news, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I don't think that people will be able to use the Trump defense unless you're Donald Trump. Uh, and, and I don't think that as you can see from Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example, she's had to pay for her different mistakes. Um, so I'd be interested to see how Kevin McCarthy would pay for his lies and his mistakes that he'll have now that he'll be the Speaker of the House, it looks like. Yeah, no, absolutely. While we're on the topic of how these elections broke, I mean, we're still not done. You know, there's a right. big Senate runoff coming and we got Herschel Walker versus Warnock. And just ultimately, you know, what are your plans for that race? If you're planning anything particular, how do you think it's going to go? And will we see as Democrats 51 seats in the Senate after uh, everything's said and done? Yes, I think we'll see 51 seats in the Senate. I think people uh, will take a look at this and Trump announcing is going to be a big catalyst uh, for Warnock. Um, That fear of him possibly ever being in the White House again is something that people want to resist all the way. I think there's a lot of different videos that we've been able to uncover with and some friends at Patriot Takes and some other places that... um, they're going to release that are very damning for Herschel Walker that you can't look away from, that you can't say, oh, he's a reformed person or or whatnot. Um, So I think we're going to see a lot of that. We are, me personally, I'm fundraising directly for Warnock's campaign uh, from the outside, not requested or whatever, but I'm fundraising for his campaign because I know some of those staffers, I know that they're going to spend the money in the right way. In regards to negative ads, we are going to run some negative ads, but (laughs) it's him. It is Herschel Walker. It's not other people talking about stuff. It is Herschel Walker talking Mm -hmm. about Herschel Walker using his own words with different things that we've put together. Um, So Herschel Walker will be what presents himself to voters. We'll focus on digital ads um, and OTT ads, which are things like Hulu when you see an ad on Hulu or something like that. We'll have that pop up to Georgia, Georgia voters um, and, you know, independent voters, leaning Republican voters, things like that. So we're going to focus on, you know, stay in our lane with that um, and let them do the positive messaging. I think that Warnock's got a great campaign behind him. And so we just need to support him. They're going to need money. So donating to the campaign is huge. If you can volunteer to make phone calls. Uh, I know Mobilize has some stuff set up. I know y'all are going to have some stuff set up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all hands on deck again. Um, you know, I know that everybody's tired, but right after, uh, you know, you know, this, I'm going to be back on trying to get some people to make some phone calls. So it, it's, it's just that constant burn, you know, we can rest later, but this, uh, as y'all have covered extensively, like there's a lot of different reasons why a, uh, 51st vote is essential. You know, they have this sharing agreement obviously in uh-huh. the Senate, um, the, the power is not fully in democratic control as it may seem. And, uh, you know, we, we can do a lot more things when we're not having to get two of these on the fence senators and we de- need just one. Um, I think that makes a, a world of a difference because then they're more of a, a hero and they're not a duo. 
um, I think that fractures that little alliance that uh, cinema and mansion have there. So I, I, it's it's essential that we clear this hurdle and we beat Herschel Walker, let alone for the reason that he shouldn't be a senator. He shouldn't be in any elected role ever. Um, he shouldn't be in any leadership role. He shouldn't be in public life. Like This is a, a maniac who's caused harm to his family, uh, his friends, and uh, a pathological liar who thinks he's a, a sheriff um, <laughs> who has no training whatsoever, who's talking about years for, I've trained with that. He didn't train with anything. He didn't do anything. Like He's he's a football player. He had a great career, he says, uh, and you know, it's that's it. Beyond that, he he's he's not even taking ownership over his his mental health. You know, um, he's admitted and written a book about having multiple personality disorder, and he says this is how he avoids accountability. He says that he's repented or he's revived now. He also has said that he is, if you are mad about something that he's done, then it was a different personality. Like he'll say that out loud. He uses mm. that. So it, it's scary stuff, and this is something where I think that he's troubled and he needs to seek help still. He never really sought help. He went to a hospital. He checked himself out of that, and he said he'd be fine, and he's self-diagnosed now. Um, there's no cure for his ailment. Um, so my hope is that he focuses on himself, maybe where, you know, drops in the background here and decides to just ride this out because it, it's embarrassing uh, for for him, his family. Um, and we just can't we can't have someone like this in, in the Senate, not someone who admits that he tried to kill his wife or yep, and uh, and he doubled down and said that he actually was a police officer after he clearly right. isn't a police officer. And, and kind of the concluding mark remark I'll make is, you know, over the weekend, I was seeing people like Paul Ryan being interviewed and and others and um people like Chris Christie and uh, even Mike Pompeo. And, you know, they were saying we need to win. What Our focus is on winning a winner and we need to win this. And Trump is a loser and we need a winner and a winning candidate. And, you know, and I was just thinking like, we are trying to focus on issues that actually impact people's lives. Like the point of politics should ultimately be how do we make our country, our communities, better places? And how do we focus on issues that matter to the people? And frankly, there literally is no, this isn't an exaggeration. I mean, I suppose other than give tax cuts to billionaires, there's literally no other agenda, no other policy that's espoused by Republicans other than to go on and have podcasts that they do and then spread hate and gaslight and and be a bunch of trolls. It's like a really weird it's a really weird concept because when you look internationally and you see other political parties, they at least are agenda driven. And you can go, "Okay, I don't like that agenda, but there's at least a portfolio of policies that are unraveled that 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 come with it that come with the various parties in these areas and here there just there isn't because you know as you said they're they're just kind of dangerous non-serious people and they exist 
on social media. Like that's the weirdest part because they like to project and be like all these things about social media. They live on social media. And so why it was so important that you did what you do and inspired all the other groups that kind of followed and the work's going to be more important now than ever with uh, Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter is to go in and set the tone and push back against the disinformation and push back against the trolls. Because for the Republicans, that's all they do. That's where their leaders are. And we look forward, Scott, to the next chapter in your career. We appreciate everything you've done. And we'll tell everybody to do. I know you're growing that YouTube page. So everybody search for Scott on YouTube as well and subscribe to his YouTube channel as that channel starts to uh, take off. I know you'll love the content there. You could follow Scott on Twitter as long as Twitter's still around by searching for the Dem Coalition and searching for Scott Dworkin directly on Twitter and check out his podcast, The Dworkin Report. Scott Dworkin, thank you so much for joining us on The Mighty. Thanks y'all for having me. As always, be well, do good and uh, onward.